0: Algar Productions Algar Productions
1: Algar Productions
0: Oh, Case! Ottawa
1: Case Ottawa
0: Case
1: Oh, uh, sorry,
2: Ottawa What a touching scene, am I right? I'm not right Not even a little bit. For although this tearful reunion of star-crossed lovers has been more than 30 years in the making, these two have no more business getting back together than they had being together in the first place. I'll explain exactly what that means, and for you new listeners who these people actually are, right after I do this. Sarcastic Voyage presents the continuing story of Contentment Corner, starring Mark Bosco as Case Cutchington and Nicole Santora as Miss St. Corby. Case Trustworthy Cutchington was born, well, born the first time, anyway, in 1937, the elder of a pair of twins. Case's brother, younger by about 17 minutes, was named Ace, and he would go on to be a renowned scientist for a top-secret government agency. His adventures have been thoroughly documented by this program previously, and if that sounds at all interesting to you, we encourage you to go check out Episodes 8, 9, and 15. It was most recently mentioned in Episode 35. Case, on the other hand, well, he took after their parents. Thrace Cutchington and his wife, Edna Cutchington, had been keen to set themselves up as bootleggers. They set up camp in Contentment Corner in 1936, carefully plotting a supply line from a distillery in Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan, to a discreet warehouse in the small North Dakota town. There were two fundamental problems with this. First, Contentment Corner wasn't exactly right on the Canadian border. Moose Jaw was over 400 miles to the north, and the Cutchingtons did not own a car. Their liquor runs, consequently, were made on foot. Eventually, they were able to upgrade their small red wagon to a wheelbarrow with nearly twice the capacity. So, you know, success story. Second, and probably more significantly, uh, (laughs) the uh, 21st Amendment was ratified in 1933 ending the federal prohibition of alcohol. This was, as you may have already surmised, some three years before the Cutchingtons began their bootlegging operation. And despite this, it would remain in operation until the early 60s, when Thrace drowned to death inside a corn silo. He drowned on corn, if that wasn't clear. Uh, Thrace would go down to his starchy grave, confident in the belief, that he was the most fortunate speakeasy owner in the history of speakeasies, because he'd never once been arrested or even questioned by the local police. And that tells you everything you need to know about the general disposition that Case Cutchington inherited. He was naturally inclined to break rules, whether or not it made practical sense for him to do so. But this came packaged with an almost overpowering charm that made people more likely to accept his transgressions, or at the very least to believe that they were just harmless fun. Wait.
0: So you want me to trade my choco chalk choc bar and my liverloaf sandwich
1: for a lump of coal? Not just any coal. This coal is special. Is it blue coal? Uh, what? You know, blue coal. They sponsor my
2: favorite radio show.
1: Yes. Yes, that's what it is. Blue coal.
2: You've got yourself a deal.
0: Mr. Cutchington! I notice you're not handing in the assignment?
1: I'm not, but I have a good excuse.
0: I suppose your dog ate it?
1: Uh, yeah, that's right. That's much better than what I was going to say. My dog definitely ate the assignment.
0: Well, we all know how unruly pets can be. You have an extension on the assignment. Actually, you know what? Given the undue stress this situation has caused for you, I'm going to go ahead and mark you down with an A.
1: Yes, I'm very stressed. Unduly so, some might say. Can I see your driver's license and credit card, miss? because I'm gonna need serious documented evidence that you're not some kind of an angel posing as a beautiful human woman."
2: Case used that line, and many lines even worse than that one if you can believe it, on so many would-be romantic partners over the years. And somehow, impossibly, they worked more often than they didn't. Which is how he got the attention of Ottawa St. Corby, the benevolent matriarch of St. Corby Soap in 1987.
0: Well, I'm not going to give you my credit card, but I'll definitely give you this.
1: Is it like your bank account number? Maybe like one of those secret bank accounts in Sweden?
0: I think you mean Switzerland, but no, that's my phone number.
1: Oh, that's also good. Better than good. That's exactly what I wanted. Yes, thank you for this. I will certainly be calling you on the phone soon.
0: Well, I hope I can trust you with such an important piece of information.
2: <laughs> what? Of
1: uh, of course, of course you can trust me. My middle name is Trustworthy.
2: I mean, come on. You must have seen that coming the second I told you what his middle name was. Don't roll your eyes at that. Case and Ottawa were involved for quite some time after that. Case was also, of course, (coughs) involved with quite a few other people, including, but not limited to, the amnesiac werewolf Flace Carousel, and the rather high-strung Savandra Cutchington, to whom he was, you probably guessed, already married. They even had a son together. Of course, some people are legitimately mature and sophisticated enough to maintain polyamorous relationships, if that's the kind of thing you're into, which is fine. Case truly believed himself to be such a person. Ottawa, on the other hand, definitely was not. Or, if she was, Case didn't know that because he never bothered to actually ask her. It was one of many things that he never told her about, and might have caused some serious friction in their resulting marriage had that marriage actually gone through, but it didn't. Case's involvement with the Tordovian mob resulted in a bomb being planted at his wedding to Ottawa. The resulting explosion killed Case and put Ottawa into a coma. And you'd think this is where their story would have ended, and yet...
0: Oh, Case!
2: Ottawa actually i i', I oh, sorry, I don't think we're quite ready to rejoin the scene just yet um first, I want to fill you in on the Saint Corby family trust me you're gonna want to hear this i'll I'll try to keep it quick since I'm sure you're eager to get to the uh story part of the story. Uh, okay, so St. Corby's Soap opened its doors in 1940. Uh, founded by Ottawa's mother, Ursula St. Corby, it quickly rose to become the most successful business in Contentment Corner, employing nearly half the town. In 1976, just having taken over the factory from her recently deceased mother, Ottawa inadvertently ran afoul of a local witch named Cathorne Zirconia, which would have catastrophic results for her family in the years to come.
3: Sorry, can I help you? Are you the St. Corby of St. Corby's soap?
0: Yes, I'm Ottawa St. Corby. I- I'm sorry, did you have an appointment?
4: Uh, uh, Miss St. Corby, I- I'm uh, I'm real sorry there about this, uh, this here intrusion. Uh, th- this woman just sort of... Well, well, she just dang flew by me before I could... Uh, it's
0: all right, Jim.
4: Well, y- y- you're sure now? Because I, I I could escort her back out of your office at gunpoint, if you'd like.
3: Try it, and you'll be eating flies for dinner.
4: Uh, no, 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 why would I want to do that?
3: Because I'll turn you into a frog, you doddering old buffoon. Now leave us. I'll be okay, Jim.
4: Well, all right, uh, if you say so. You're the boss around here. Uh. You're the one to take orders from, not some old, uh, 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 witchy woman. Say, I-, I just heard that song on the radio this morning. Witchy woman. What
0: can I do for you, uh, Mrs... It's
3: Miss Cathorn Zaconia. and I'll tell you what you can do for me. You can return the comfrey leaves you stole from me. Well,
0: now, Miss... We do use comfrey leaves in the production of our soaps, but I'm certain we purchase them legally from our wholesaler.
3: Yes. That's what I mean. That same wholesaler promised me those leaves for my own personal use. Well then, it seems
0: to me your issue is with him and not with
3: me. Those leaves are rightfully mine and I demand that you give them back to me at once! Well, I'm
0: sorry, but as I said, we did buy them fair and square and I'm pretty sure they're already being used out on the production line.
3: You're wasting something as precious as comfrey leaves on soap? Pah! I spit on your soap. Please don't spit on my soap or my floor. Don't tell me what to do. I'm a
0: dangerous woman! Yes, I heard you threatening my security guard just now. I suppose you want those leaves for some kind of magical spell? What would make you say such a thing? You just told Jim that you'd turn him into a frog.
3: As it happens, I wanted to use those leaves for tea. Just tea. But if it's magic you want... I'm good, thanks. If it's magic you want, I'll give you magic. Uh, Please don't. If you're not going to give me back what is rightfully mine, then I will have no choice but to curse your family name for two generations. That seems a bit harsh. Three generations! Seriously? Starting with you. I'd prefer it if you didn't. And I'd prefer it if I had my comfrey leaves so none of us gets what they want today. I
0: mean, I could just buy you some more leaves if this is
3: going to be- It's too late for that now. The time for negotiating has ended. The time for cursing has begun. If you were my daughter, I'd wash your mouth out with soap for cursing. Yes, I get it. Because you own a soap factory very droll. I hereby curse the name of St. Corby for three generations of women. Never will you or your daughter or your daughter's daughter be far from supernatural entanglement Their destinies will forever be entwined with that of the profane and the damned. I still say you're overreacting
2: as any sensible person would, Ottawa. Nevertheless, the curse took hold, and, as promised, she soon found herself entangled in all manner of supernatural situations. A glowing cloud that followed her around, occasionally punctuated by tiny lightning strikes that coordinated to spell out the words leaf thief, uh, briefly becoming a magnet for squirrels, chipmunks, and possums. uh, a prolonged inability to say or write the letter A. But Ottawa endured these indignities with quiet grace and was pleased to discover that her daughter, Vatican, seemed largely unaffected, despite the witch's proclamation. And upon entering that coma, her final conscious thought was, well, at least Vatican was never affected by that curse. Because that's the kind of selfless person Ottawa was. But the curse did affect Vatican when she found her mind swapped with her comatose mother's. And this is only the beginning of what would become phase two of the Cathorn Curse Project. Celestial Mishap followed Celestial Mishap. A Vatican gave birth to a daughter, Tanda, in 2001, and by her 15th year, all three St. Corby women found themselves living in young Tanda's body. Together. And that's how it's been for them ever since. So. That's pretty much everything you need to know about the St. Corby family. So... Oh,
0: Case!
2: Ottawa. Wait, sorry, no, not, not just, yet. Yeah, With that, tiny, tiny bit more backtracking to do first. Sorry, sorry, I'll make this one quick. Okay, back to Case. Um, earlier this year, after he was killed in the explosion at his near wedding to Ottawa, Case found himself wandering through a cornfield just outside town. Long story short, he had been cloned. And this clone somehow retained all the memories he'd accumulated just prior to death. Oh, come on, it makes as much sense as anything Brandon Braga ever wrote. Case 2.0 quickly realized that he'd need some kind of gainful employment until such time as he could get himself situated in this strange world of the future and work out exactly how to best grift a standard-issue 21st century rube, which is how he came to find himself in the HR offices of St. Corby Soap. Have a seat, Mr. Uh, Cutchington, is that
1: right? I mean, it doesn't have to be. I can be someone else if you'd like. I'm not sure what that I, I mean, yes, I am Mr. Cutchington. Like it says on my application, Case Cutchington, ready to serve, Your Honor. I'm just the HR manager, there's no need for any of that. Although, we could look at revising the process. So, sorry, now is not the time. Okay, so I have to ask. You don't have to ask anything, you know. I'm kind of a no-questions-asked guy myself. Yes. Well, as this is a job interview, basic protocol and common sense pretty much demand that I ask, you know, questions. As a means of gathering information about potential candidates. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Sure. Right. Potential. Right. I feel like I'm nailing this. Am I nailing this? I'll ask the questions here. Right. Now then, I was going to ask if you were any relation to THE Case Cutchington. Possibly? Who's THE Case Cutchington? He was a swindler, a rascal, uh, you know, a general miscreant. Doesn't sound like anyone I know. Somehow he always sort of got away with it, though, because he was, you know, good looking, white hair, perpetually unshaven, wore an eye patch. Something... wrong? You're him. You're Case Cutchington. What gave it away? But that can't possibly be right. I was there when Case Cutchington died 30 years ago. And yet, here you are. No older than the day I saw you die. You counted the eyes, didn't you? That's what always gives it away. But how can you possibly... Would you believe... I'm a clone? Typically, I would not. Then again, this is Contentment Corner. Then again... You are a notorious liar, and even after three decades of absence, I have retained the very strong impression that I should trust absolutely nothing you say. Then again? Then again, here you are. Here I am. And this does explain the large gap in your job history I was going to ask about. I could change those dates if it made any difference. You're not doing yourself any favors on the whole liar front, Mr. Cutchington. Just uh, be quiet for a minute. Right. Quiet. I can do that. Look... We need a security guard. We have cameras, but Miss St. Corby prefers the human touch whenever possible. It's not like this job requires much more than the ability to stay awake and uh, occasionally operate a flashlight. You know how to work a flashlight, don't you, Mr. Cutchington? I mean, I think I do. Unless flashlight technology has changed significantly since 1987. (sighs) Alright, you're hired. I am? Hey, that's great. Yeah, okay, just try not to, you know, lie. I'll do my best. Uh, Okay, that's clearly a lie. Starting now, then. Scout's honor. You were a scout? Sure. I got a loyalty badge for courtesy. All right, I'm positive that's not a thing. You should leave now while you're still ahead. Yes,
2: sir. Case had hoped, by working in close proximity to his former love, to accidentally bump into her in the workplace and kickstart what he felt was a long-overdue reunion. He was not, I should remind you, aware that her mind was cohabitating the body of a 16-year-old girl with her daughter and her granddaughter always thinking of himself that case. Also, honestly, what is the likelihood that you're going to meet the CEO of your company working as a security guard from 11pm to 7am? Really didn't think this one out at all, did you, Hutchington? He'd been doing his best as a security guard for about a week, and by doing his best, I mean cutting back on his usual impulse to steal anything that wasn't nailed down. As you might expect, the life of a night security guard at a soap factory did not contain much in the way of excitement or adventure. But then one night, just before dawn...
3: I thought you said you wanted the lights off.
2: I didn't turn it on, it
1: was- Hello? Is someone there? Is that... Case Cutchington? That can't be right. Case Cutchington died years ago. I'm a security guard, so if you're not supposed to be here, you have to tell me. I think that's how it works, anyway. Hello? Come on, we got what we wanted. Let's get out of here.
3: I don't have everything I want. But that can wait till we get back to your office, I suppose.
4: Boy, this industrial espionage business really gets your blood pumping, doesn't it?
1: Hello? Uh, huh. I guess there's no one there. Or, if there was, there isn't now. <sighs> Boy, I'm really not very good at this.
2: Ugh, now what? Ottawa? And so the two lovers had reunited. Upon realizing what had happened to Ottawa, Case immediately adjusted his expectations of a romantic rekindling because he was 50 years old and a 50-year-old man had no business involving himself with a 16-year-old girl, regardless of whose mind was inhabiting the body. Even a shady liar knows better than that. But they did spend the entire day talking. Ottawa canceled her meetings and the two of them spent the entire workday in her office catching up. And now, finally, we're ready to rejoin them, honest, That's the last you'll be hearing from me for at least a couple of minutes.
0: Oh, Case. Ottawa. Case. Ottawa. Case.
1: Oh, sorry. Ottawa.
0: And Vatican.
1: Right, and Vatican. And Tanda. And Tanda. Yeah, I got it.
0: And that's why we can never be together.
1: It all makes total sense to me. It does. Well, as much as anything in this town does. I just... I'd hope that me being given a second chance like this meant that maybe I could do things right this time. Stop lying. Ha!
0: Sorry, that was Vatican, who is being very rude right now.
1: I always liked her, you know.
0: She never liked you, if we're being honest. Which is the reason she never liked you. Because you were almost never honest.
1: I've been honest. Have you, though? Well, okay, no. But I've met honest people. I know how it's supposed to work. Very.
0: Vatican always thought that my blind spot for you was part of the curse. Was it? No. I have found you legitimately charming. And I still do. But this? We can't.
1: Yeah, I know. Hey, you never told me about this curse. So in a way, you're a liar too. You're just like me. We're the same.
0: You're kidding, right? You're sweet, and I did. I I do love you, but... We're not the same at all, Case.
1: (sighs) I want to be more like you. I want to be honest. Can you show me how? I, Platonically, I mean, as friends. Because... Right. Right. It's just, you're the best person I know. That I've ever known. You and Vatican both. I, I don't really know Tanda, but I'm sure...
0: As it happens, I'm a real bad girl. Tanda, that is highly inappropriate.
1: Boy, you can say that again. Anyway, I'm serious. I want to be a better person. An honest person.
0: Well, Trustworthy is your middle name.
1: Can you help me live up to that? Can you show me how to be better? (coughs) Gah! That's not me! I didn't do that! You're not allowed to search my bag without a warrant! Sorry. Force of habit.
2: Episode 39 of Contentment Corner featured Mark Bosco as Case Cutchington. Christy Brandon as Catherine Zirconia and Evelette Verino, Ryan Lynch as the Narrator, Nicole Santora as Ottawa, Vatican, and Tanda St. Corby, Amanda Smith as the Teacher, Jason Wallace as Jim and Clegg Jorgensen, and Ron Algar Watt as Playground Kid and Niff. It was written by Ron Algar Watt and produced by Algar Productions, copyright 2017. Please don't sue us. You have no reason to. A regular Duke of Hazard he was. All right, let's see. Um, Al, you ever notice that the Dukes of Hazard were bootleggers, but the show was set in, like, the 1970s? Uh, I don't care about it enough to do the research to find out what the explanation was, but, I mean, that's a thing. All right.
4: <laughs> Witchy woman. da 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 I do like those eagles. Those are some nice fellas. Didn't care for what they had to say about Hotel California, though. I stayed there once, it was real nice.